0: hey everyone welcome back to the 443 security simplified i'm your host mark the liberty and joining me today is homebody cory knockreiner stuck here at
1: headquarters while mark travels the world (laughs) i am coming from you from coming from me (laughs) not (laughs) you coming to you
0: (laughs) coming somewhere yeah from where am i florida very sunny florida where it's like 90 degrees right now, as opposed to the, what, 40-something and raining back home in Seattle. So I'm pretty happy.
1: I think it went down to even 20 last night. It got pretty cold. Ooh.
0: Uh, anyways, you- on today's episode, we have a another news roundup for you with some uh, pretty interesting news stories that we'll dive into here. Actually, let's go right now. So today... Uh, We are going to have a bit of a news roundup with three pretty major news stories that just came out recently. And with that, let's go ahead and jump right in on the first one, which is just this last week, uh, NordVPN, the really popular, heavily advertised VPN service that you've probably seen all over commercials everywhere, uh, confirmed that they suffered a breach in one of their data centers back in March of 2018. Uh, As part of the confirmation, they claim the attacker gained access to a server at a data center hosted in Finland by exploiting a insecure remote management system that was left there by the data center provider and of which they had no knowledge actually existed. Uh, Now Nord says that uh, that server did not contain any user activity logs, but it did have a expired private key that was exposed to the attacker. Um, we've talked about cryptographic keys a few times on this podcast, I think, uh, right Corey, but we should probably, uh, hit it real quick one more time. Um, so VPNs rely on what's called public key cryptography, where there's a private key that's supposed to be kept secret by a server and a public key that it advertises out for clients to verify the authenticity of the server to verify that the server is who it claims it is. And it all revol- the security of this all revolves around keeping that private key safe because if an attacker is able to get a hold of it, they could potentially decrypt traffic that was sent to that server. Now, in this case, it looks like that key was only used as part of a setup for connection um, where the client and server would then exchange different keys in order to actually encrypt the VPN tunnel, which means that even though the attackers got a hold of this expired private key, Nord says that there's no way the attackers could have used it to decrypt any VPN traffic to the server or any other server. Uh, they ended li- their statement. Oh.
1: I, I was going to say there's there's a little drama in this though, right? And that uh, we we definitely have what uh, NordVPN is saying and I don't distrust it. By the way, uh, all the keys are belong to us in that I use NordVPN, so I really hope what they're saying is true. But I I hear that another VPN company who has a drama going with Nord probably was one of the ones that found and disclosed this, and they seem to characterize the problem slightly differently.
0: Yeah, was it TorGuard? I think, who's been kind of feuding with NordVPN uh, for the past year or so?
1: Yep, uh, internet drama. I think there's lawsuits going both ways.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh I think so like Tor accused or no, Nord accused Tor of uh paying or having an affiliate put out disparaging reviews for NordVPN. Um and then Torguard is accusing Nord of basically blackmailing them for a vulnerability that they found, uh which yeah. is I think they sued them and like uh, Virginia or something. And I think you pointed out that that case actually just got thrown out.
1: Yeah, I think it was thrown out. But it's uh, just interesting to see the drama around this sort of internet back drama. and forth, this disclosure between VPN companies.
0: Yep. So Nord says that the service as a whole was not hacked. The code was not hacked. The VPN tunnel was not breached. And the Nord VPN app stays unaffected. So either way, VPN service providers like Nord and others that... Um, folks like I use, really revolve around trusting the provider that it is secure and they take your privacy seriously. And my my main concern from this whole ordeal was it does seem that they took a little bit more time than I would have expected in order to disclose this vulnerability uh, or that they had this incident.
1: Yeah, it happened in March, right? Do, do we know when they found out for sure about it? So I mean, we, we know they the said they found out
0: March. a few months ago. So, I mean, if it's within like, so you and I kind of preach so the whole months, 90 not, day disclosure not as bad thing. It, so it, technically yeah, if they yeah. only found out a couple months ago, it's not the end of the world, but it's still, I mean, as a VPN provider, you'd hope that they would be really quick on the draw and fixing and notifying yeah, people. Huh? when we
1: say 90 days that's kind of like the worst case i would love to see security companies turn things around in a month just because they're security companies but i don't know at all the and frankly if it was as little impact a breach as it sounds like it was i don't know why they you know sometimes you might take longer to disclose things if there's a pretty sophisticated hack and you have to do forensics and investigation and get authorities involved but based on what what Nord is saying, this doesn't seem that in depth. I, I, yeah, it doesn't make sense that it takes two two months to figure it out.
0: And you mentioned like with security vendors, you hope they're quicker. And I think like LastPass is a great example of this. They've had I think three or four security incidents now, and they usually fix and notify within like twenty four or forty eight hours, which is just really impressive in my opinion. Yep. Um, so Nord actually just released a statement, uh, this morning, or I think it was this morning as we were recording this, uh, where they announced their plan for increasing their security going forward. They put out a list of like five or six bullet points of things they're going to do from now on out, uh, including like partnering with a cybersecurity consulting firm to run active penetration testing, uh, creating a bug bounty program, doing a infrastructure security audit of all of their systems. Uh, starting vendor security assessments, so like data centers they work with, making sure they meet security standards, uh, and then setting up diskless servers, so servers that have literally no storage whatsoever. Uh, I think these are all great things from the do. I The way that it was worded makes it seem like they haven't been doing any of this previously, though, which is a little concerning.
1: Yeah, some of that's surprising. I mean, I don't expect everyone to do a bug bounty or go go down to diskless servers, but at least infrastructure audits internally and internal pen tests should be pretty normal for a security company.
0: Yep. And I did actually reply to them on Twitter and asked if their bug bounty program is going to have uh, the right of public disclosure after they resolve vulnerabilities that are found through it. Uh, they replied back with basically a we're not going to comment on that until we have the full thing put out but I think considering their their history or at least their recent history I do hope that that is a part of their bug bounty program too of allowing researchers to disclose what they've found. Absolutely
1: more importantly to give the research enough information that it can confirm the fix. I mean I'm not against full disclosure if it's fixed it shouldn't be a big deal at all but uh, the biggest part of full disclosure and full partnership with the researcher is that he can go back, he or she, and double check that the, the problem really was rectified.
0: Yeah, and I think an example of a failure in that is the uh, the researcher that hacked the Boeing 787 that we've talked about a few times, where Boeing basically just came back saying, yep, it's fixed. We won't tell you how, but it's good, so don't check.
1: Uh, exactly. And it puts some doubt in the researcher about what was really done.
0: Yep. I do have hope. I mean, NordVPN is... I, I don't know their market share, but based off their advertising, they've got to be one of the largest VPN providers to consumers out there. And so I hope they have some incentive to uh, really focus and hammer down on their security practices going forward. So right Me now too. I'm in the, uh, yeah, cause you're <laughs> a user.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm breaking security rules, telling people that, but uh, <laughs> yes, I really care about their security.
0: Right now I'm placing them in the forgive, but verify bucket. So once they've actually started these security programs, hoping that they hold accountable to them. But I'm, I think you and I are in agreement on this, that a security incident, like a breach or whatever, it happens and it shouldn't be the death of a company as long as they respond to it appropriately and take steps to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yep. Agreed. So let's move on to our next news topic, which is another uh, really interesting one where Uh, It's kind of a continuation of something that we chatted about back in May of this year when uh, WhatsApp, the messaging application, disclosed that they had a code execution vulnerability in its application that allowed attackers to basically use the application in order to install malware on targeted phones. Um, They claimed around 1,400 individuals were targeted by this exploit, including many human rights defenders and journalists. Uh, Because this vulnerability was discovered by uh, a group that we've talked about a few times too, the Israeli company NSO Group, who license out basically vulnerabilities and exploits to government agencies to uh, use against individuals of interest. Uh, Like, for example, NSO Group was also responsible for helping the FBI get into the encrypted iPhone of the San Bernardino shooter a few years ago uh, after Apple refused or actually could not help because of the encryption. Uh, now, NSO claims that when it licenses technologies, it only gives them to authorized government agencies for the sole purpose of fighting crime and terror. Uh, but as we've seen in a few examples, not just from them, but other agencies, fighting crime and terror can also go into privacy rights for just people that governments don't like and want to monitor. Um, but so the update on the story is uh, NSO has always always claimed that they don't actually operate the systems that exploit these vulnerabilities and actual active attacks. They say that they uh, rigorously license and vet uh, intelligence and law enforcement agencies and then hand over the basically the vulnerabilities to them to carry out with however they see fit, um, which is, in my opinion, a bit of a... It's a really fine line, uh, I think. And in this case... I don't like it.
1: I think these guys are great market folks. I I, I also don't really like uh, uh, nation states kind of, uh, as you know, uh, stockpiling zero day or buying zero day. I think it's uh, long term is going to hurt them. But groups like this that actually cater to both sides, I don't know how a government would trust... This group, knowing that they're not just selling to them,
0: but other governments as well. I wonder if it's... I mean, I assume they probably don't trust them, but if they're the sole proprietor of a lot of these really sophisticated attacks or zero-day vulnerabilities, they might not have a choice but to partner with them and buy from them. It's a It's a really interesting and concerning market though having private companies that are finding flaws and selling them to nation states basically to launch attacks
1: i think there's too much opportunity for corruption personally uh, yes and not i think there we, we should, there's not just one person yes finding zero day very hard takes big uh, smart researchers to do it especially as we get more protection but it's not just one company in the world that can do it. And I don't know if, uh, I think I might have read that the NSO, the Israeli group, you know, it claims to only do, uh, you know, a United Nation countries, but I always distrust that sort of thing. For the right price, I feel like they would sell to anybody.
0: Yep. But in this case, uh, just a few days ago, Facebook filed a lawsuit against NSO now, claiming that they have evidence that, uh, this private organization, uh, or that the the attackers for those 1,400 affected individuals were ho- using internet hosting services and servers that are linked back to NSO themselves and not a government organization. Uh, and additionally, they claim that some of the WhatsApp accounts used during the attack were linked to and owned by NSO as well. Uh, in fact, as part of their statement, they said it was, they pointed out it was a really sophisticated attack, but they don't think NSO did a good enough job of covering their tracks. And so now they're suing the company themselves, which is, I mean, it seems like this was bound to happen at some point in time Uh, because it is a private organization basically helping out with cyber attacks and eventually someone's going to get after them. And Facebook obviously has the lawyering power to do it.
1: It kind of goes against NSO's claim that they get the government to, they they sell something and then let the governments use it how they will. I mean, if (laughs) their servers are involved, obviously, it's not just the government using it as they will.
0: Yeah. I mean, to play devil's advocate, which I really hate doing in this case, uh, my theory could be that, I mean, obviously, while they're trying to discover and find the vulnerabilities and their impact, they have to use their own systems for that, which... Might not be linked to actual attacks against individuals. Uh, but, like, according to this lawsuit, it sounds like that that isn't the case. And they were directly involved in the actual attacks against these 1,400 folks that were affected by it.
1: Well, guess what? Even launching a test attack is against the law. You know, penetration testing, if you were just port scanning or, or or looking passively at the data you got from WhatsApp, that's one thing. But if you're launching any kind of even proof of concept attack with no real idea of taking advantage of it, just testing it, if it's unauthorized against WhatsApp servers, that's against the law.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's even why, like, bug bounty programs have to be really... um strictly laid out on what's in scope and out of scope and it's still a, a kind of a risky proposition because there is the chance that an organization will go after you if you uh, stumble into out of scope servers and systems when you're doing penetration testing as a researcher too yeah
1: and anything that's touching a live web app is a lot more risky than a, a black box a local app you know you can buy an app and penetration test it all you want in the local lab but once you send proof of concept, you know, whatever it is, a web application attack against a real running web app, no matter what you're trying to do with it, that is kind of unauthorized access to somebody else's system.
0: It is. Like you expose the risk of, uh, or you have the risk of exposing unsuspecting user private information. Uh, there's the chance that whatever vulnerability DDoSing you're hitting it. You could, yeah, DDoS the, or just or service D- the system. Uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe they're testing for multiple devices, so it's technically a DDoS. Yeah, (laughs) but it could you knew what I meant. (laughs) Exactly. You could accidentally
1: crash something that you don't want to crash, and there goes production.
0: Exactly. There are genuine risks when it comes to vulnerability research, Um, even in the white hat case. I would definitely not label NSO as white hat hackers. It's not like they're finding vulnerabilities to then work with Facebook to try and resolve. They're finding them to then sell on basically uh, back-channel markets to government organizations, which is pretty far from the, the white hat ideals.
1: But becoming pretty norm. One of the, the DEF CON, or was it black hat talks I went to, was basically a researcher telling how to do this, how to get the government customers and what different zero day was about and, and the best way to actually go about this. So unfortunately, I'm, that's why I say it's kind of a gray hat to me. Uh, I'd even go worse in some cases.
0: Unfortunately, it is becoming a norm. Yeah, there was a, a DEF CON talk I went to just this last year uh, where it was a investigatory journalist who was talking about the um, Italian uh, private organizations that were selling basically malware applications to uh, different government agencies and how they tracked them down, the the investigatory journalists track them down to figure out who it was, who was it they were actually targeting and stuff like that. Uh, it's it's interesting and you're right, it does seem like it's the way going forward. Like our, The NSA in the States, for example, has a whole bunch of really intelligent employees that I'm sure are trying to find their own vulnerabilities, but even they won't catch everything, which means they're going to be partnering with contractors and Third-party organizations, private organizations, in order to try and do the same too.
1: I would say they're also responsible for arbitrarily increasing the value of certain zero-day. <laughs> like uh, five years ago, an iPhone zero-day was not worth, or an Android one, for that matter, is not worth what it is today. I think it's specifically nations participating in these uh, gray markets that is inflating the price of vulnerabilities. I yeah, guess I'd say good- that's fair. Good for the researchers, but ultimately it doesn't really help the white
0: hat cause of of fixing problems so that customers aren't affected. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Apple just increase their bug bounty program to like a million dollars for a vulnerability on... uh, code execution on an iPhone?
1: I think so. And recently, I think we talked about in the past podcast, it used to be uh, remote iOS code execution was the top flaw, but now remote Android
0: uh, execution is actually
1: bigger as kind far of, as price. I think it
0: mirrors the, the market share that Android has compared to Apple and iOS also. Oh, I'm sure. But yeah, I, I'd say that things like NSO Group finding these flaws increases the price. Also like mobile phone, like Android and iOS have gotten better at security too in recent years. Like there are fewer vulnerabilities. Oh no, it's,
1: it's definitely harder, especially for mobile devices. So in general, that's why is, mobile remote execution is so much, you know, higher.
0: Yep, I think we are more likely to see similar attacks like this that target specific widely used applications like WhatsApp uh, as opposed to the operating systems themselves. Yeah.
1: Seems silly to me, though, because as soon as a bad actor knows that a public application like WhatsApp is an issue, they're just going to move on to something else. Speaking of
0: moving on to something else.
1: Uh, Segway! We've got
0: another. <laughs> this is the most ham-fisted segue I think I have ever done. Uh, but let's move on to the next news story now, which also just came out uh, just today as we're recording this right now. So the governing body in the country of India that's responsible for overseeing their nuclear power plants uh, just confirmed today that attackers have managed to install malware on one of their systems in early September. Uh, the press release stated that a single PC was infected, uh, one which belonged to a user that was connected to a administrative network with internet access that was entirely separate from the like the critical, air-gapped in uh, internal network for managing the power plant itself uh, they said that the attack used malware to access a domain controller account um, and then other researchers have actually linked this malware to the D-Track malware that north korean hackers used to target indian atms earlier in september um, one really interesting thing from this though was this press release was kind of forced today uh, because researchers actually found the malware itself uploaded to VirusTotal, and as they were looking through it, they found that it was uh, stealing information and then sending that mined information to a manually connected network share using a hard-coded credential pair uh, with the username KKNPP, which they which translates to or is a acronym for the, oh man, I'm going to ruin this. Uh, <laughs> Kadunkulam Nuclear Power Project, which is basically the the organization in charge of this plant. And after this, like they point out, oh, uh, the researchers after they linked it to the power plant, the uh, Indian government actually denied it until three days later, which is today. And I thought that was a really interesting thing. Where when you upload a when you upload malware to virus total, you're usually trying to see if it's malicious or what catches it or whatever. But it is. It can actually expose the fact that your organization has had a security incident like there's been a few examples previously where organizations have been called out because of the metadata that's included with that file upload uh, where you can trace it back to whoever the original uploader was so there is a bit of a like if you're trying in your if you're in the early stages of investigating a breach and you haven't put out a disclosure yet you could kind of like give a, a leak if you uh, upload the malware to VirusTotal, which is something people don't tend to think about, I don't think.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it happens all the time. There's lots of hard-coded strings. Besides that, it's uh, you're also leaking <laughs> the, the malware to other actors, too. There's a lot of information sharing going on in VirusTotal.
0: Yeah, I agree entirely. And so the Indian government body says that it was isolated to that one administrative computer. It didn't affect any actual power plant systems. Uh, i'm going to put on my tinfoil hat here and point out that that same power plant actually had to stop generating power two weeks ago to a uh due to a they called it a sg level low event so specific gravity low which my research tells me i'm a nuclear scientist now by the way fantastic Uh, it means that there was insufficient heat removal which might cause the reactor coolant to evaporate and overheat don't even know why you're talking about this mark it's completely unrelated It's, (laughs) it's, <laughs> I, I can sense your oozing sarcasm, but I mean, yeah, it, it is most likely unrelated, but it's it hard to know. It is hard to know, but it's definitely interesting. Kind of happened around the same time that this all went down. So who knows? Um, Now back to the, the link to North Korea. So Kaspersky put out a report uh, last month, I think, about the atm D-Track malware that north korea's lazarus group was uh spreading across indian atms where they'd infect the atm not to uh, spit out money like another news story that we saw recently but to harvest information from those atms and connected systems uh, like the D-Track malware is traditionally used for key logging and stealing browser history and mapping out the system and network scanning but in this case they were uploading it to atms to also steal credit card data from cards inserted into those machines. And now researchers have linked this malware to this nuclear power plant incident as well. Uh, So also allegedly North Korea attacking it too. And that kind of, what I found interesting from that was, so this is malware now that's infected computers, ATM machines, and power plant management, I guess it's also a normal PC as well. and i did some research and it turns out a lot of atms these days are actually running on windows or windows embedded which i never really thought of but it does prove or show another potential security weakness in some of these machines too especially if they're not updated yeah <laughs> any thoughts on that, Corey? <laughs> welcome
1: to welcome to atms <laughs> exactly <laughs> but, hey, are, are you telling us something new <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, this I has been a no problem idea. forever. AP, ATM jackpotting has been picking up quite a bit lately. Yeah,
0: I always assume they're running on some like, custom, I don't know why I thought this, some custom operating system or even Linux or something. So hearing that they run off Windows was oh. a, a little surprising to me, but maybe I, yeah, I, I've been on a I've mentioned it before, not sure
1: if it was the 443 or even way back in radio-free security, but we've definitely, I mean, a lot of ATMs are Windows CE and old stuff. Uh, I even worked with X, guy that did support for ATMs, and he confirmed this. So uh, I, I guess you're right. When I first learned that, I was uber surprised because Linux makes way more sense to me. Uh, easier to harden, too. But uh, I had I had heard a long time ago that the majority of ATMs, at least in the states, are Windows based.
0: Yeah, so I
1: I wonder if that's true of like the new ones. I I would say the majority of ATMs are probably like a decade old. Who knows how old for sure? But you know what I mean. There's a lot of ATMs that have been out for a while. I wonder if like ATMs being sold today are still Windows. That I would find harder to believe.
0: This sounds like a research project. Can we get a couple thousand dollars in our budget? To
1: go buy an ATM?
0: Yes. (laughs) Um, So with the North Korea link, though, like this, the Lazarus Group has also been responsible, or at least allegedly responsible, for quite a few cryptocurrency-related attacks. It's like going after cryptocurrency exchanges. Uh, I think they've been responsible for a few ransomware attacks, too. So they seem to be like a money-gathering outfit based out of North Korea. You have to wonder, like, was it an accident that they infected this power plant? Or are they trying to target it for something else specifically? Just reusing malware? Because we've, I mean, there have been instances of attacks going after one thing, like ATM machines that, because of the operating system, could hit other systems as well. Like, even the, the Stuxnet attack was going after a very specific end target, but it infected hundreds of thousands of computers on the way to get there, too, because it was so virulent.
1: Yep. It's hard to say. I don't think we have enough data. I mean, it could be either thing. It's also very common for groups to reuse the same tools in different attacks. You know, that's why to identify groups, you look at TTPs, or is that tools, tactics, and procedures, I think. Uh, sometimes I think it's techniques, tactics, and procedures. But in either case, you know, like you say, it could be accidental collateral damage or it could be them specifically targeting just using tools, similar tools than they've used before.
0: Hard Did to point say. Out a, that's a good point that, like, because the, the D-Track malware is so effective at affecting ATMs, it is entirely possible that some other organization that isn't North Korean-based got a hold of that malware and used the exact same attack style or same code snippets in this attack too. So while it's linked to North Korea, it's also possible that it wasn't the exact same outfit too.
1: Yeah, and we we haven't released our predictions and this one hasn't really made the cut, but as nations, as state sponsored attacks get bigger, black flag attacks are gonna get bigger too, which is when You know, one organization purposely uses the TTPs of another to kind of make you think it's someone else. So that—that's the crappy thing about all these state-sponsored APTs—is that you really get into this questionable, crazy territory.
0: Yeah, and I mean, a lot of security researchers do a great job. Like, I have to give credit to Kaspersky that they do a great job of trying to track down and get through all of the the TTPs and figure out exactly who it was or as closely matched as it could be but it is I mean it is entirely possible for like the NSA to go and basically copy exactly what like Russia's intelligence agency does in an attack uh, to kind of make it look like it was them while it turns out it was the NSA all along so Yeah. Although, I mean, all the alleged at least we've mentioned
1: kind of do match up. The one thing we've talked about about the alleged North Korea connection is, you know, most state sponsored attacks are not going monetized criminally. They're they're more about espionage and politics and, uh, you know more spying. (laughs) But uh, North Korea does seem to be the organization that allegedly is doing these uh, sorts of monetizable attacks like the ATM, uh, which does make the nuclear one potentially kind of surprising. But uh, just because they want to monetize some attacks does not mean they aren't also going after normal nation state targets as well.
0: Yeah, and because the D-Track malware is traditionally used to just gather information and act as a remote-access Trojan, it is possible that this was like the first stage in an attack where maybe they were going to try and deploy ransomware and hold the power plant hostage while getting money out of it. Who knows?
1: Yep. Anyway, it's very interesting, and it's a a sign of the sophistication and the way attacks are going nowadays. Man, I kind of long for the old-school Pop Pop Quarry days of just nerds defacing websites for reputation
0: exactly what a a scary future we live in and there's nothing you can do (laughs) oh we ended on our our
1: typical upbeat
0: note (laughs) just (laughs) unplug your computer and you're safe from hackers and go live under a rock yeah make sure you have that (laughs) bunker (laughs) uh in all seriousness though like If you are an organization, unless you're really high value, you probably don't have to worry about Lazarus going after you specifically, but because these tools end up out there, other attackers will ultimately end up using them. So you still need to make sure you have strong cyber defenses to protect yourself from these sophisticated attacks that spill over into unsophisticated hackers' hands.
1: You know, and it's my turn to be devil's advocate. I think North Korea is the only exception to what you said. What you said is usually what I say about most state-sponsored attacks, which is most businesses do not have to worry about these nation- uh, attackers. They are typically not targeting you. And other than what I totally agree with, which is the technology evolution that they bring to normal cyber criminals, you don't have to worry about them. But I kind of questioned that with North Korea. Uh, allegedly, WannaCry was North Korea. Sony Pictures, a total private organization, was North Korea. Uh, so I, North Korea is the one alleged threat actor that actually might go after private business and want to steal your money. And so there might be one direct way nation states will target private businesses.
0: So I guess we're back to just unplug your internet and hope for the best.
1: <laughs> no, just, just get good security. I think your advice still stands, which is the good news is nowadays as these threats get sophisticated, Even easy-to-use mid-market products have started to add more advanced and proactive threat detection uh, and response. So there are tools out there that definitely help. It's just we now live in a situation where they're no longer a (laughs) nice-to-have. Spoken like a
0: CTO of a company that makes those tools. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate and review and subscribe unless you're on Google because apparently you still can't rate and review on there. If you have any questions on today's... Google just assumes that we're five. Exactly. I mean, I just assume we're five, so I'm glad they're on board too. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, uh, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore. Corey is at SECADAPT and the both of us are at hashtag the443podcast. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.
1: Cheers. Okay,
0: bye.